Hello and welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This will be the long format podcast for weeks 14 and we go over a couple of things. One, the week that was. Two, the week to come. Uh, three, we go over our gambling predictions. We kind of review the you know hot topics of the week. Uh, anything really that we can throw in. And then we always end off with kind of our starting five, which is essentially our highlighted players of the week. Yeah. So we're going to throw this out there now. This is going to, these, these weekly roundups are going to be, become a little bit more unorthodox as we start to sweat a little bit more for playoffs. Yeah. Um, so I think we would have held truer to the format of our, our weekly podcast if we were in a bit of a better position in the standings and, um, you know, gambling and stuff like that it you know it, it gets a little bit dicey when you uh start to need these guys to win yeah so <laughs> we know? might we might stray from that a little bit yeah too. we're it's gonna a good point. a little bit but um yeah so let's get into it so yeah. the week started with a uh 4-2 win against the leafs actually so so for um, those of you who listened to the last podcast which was our between the whistles we kind of touched on actually the games that happened this week and the games that are coming up so we can actually we'll, we'll, we're gonna reiterate everything yeah. but um yeah you were saying yeah so we won 4-2 against the Leafs on April 12th we got a goal from Tatar uh, assisted by Deno Byron we got a goal from Suzuki assisted by Weber and Drew and on the power play uh, we got Anderson's 15th from Kulak and we got Tatar's second of the night from Byron and Petrie um yeah that was basically the last good game I've seen in yeah, a while probably so um, the next game would be on the 14th. This was against Calgary. We lost 4-1. to Jake Allen was a 9-0-9, so not in any way a goaltending issue that night. We had basically one goal. It was from Brett Kulak, assisted from Druin and Anderson. Um, just one of those games where it just it really didn't seem like we were, you know, our heads, our hearts, our legs, yeah. nothing was into it. Um, yeah, the, the, a lot of these are going to seem... Short roundups it's because it's the, there's nothing. It's the same game over and over. It's the same, it's the same over. problem over and over. Basically, and it's just never being corrected yeah. or even being attempted to be and, corrected. And basically, the only thing that changes is how many goals we let in, not how many we score. So yeah, um, yeah. So next we got uh, you know again another game against Calgary. This is a this is April sixteenth, two one win against Calgary. So this was a big one. You know, like we're you know, but still a, not a well played game. Not a well played game. It's just you know it was one of those nights where Tyler Toffoli just seems to find the net, and he got two that night. He got his twentieth from Kulak and Suzuki, uh, and he got his twenty first from Army and Suzuki. So, um, you know, good game for him. Uh, Allen was a nine six six. So again, holding us in there. They had, you know, uh, twenty nine shots. We had uh, nineteen. So they they really out shooting us. Couldn't really again. Their Calgary is really doing a good job in keeping us out of the, out of the middle. Um, and keeping us in an out of uh, you know, their neutral zone plays incredible. I think probably the, one of the best in the league. Like yeah. They they really really hold the blue line, and um, we still haven't really found a way around it. You know, granted we haven't played them that much yet, but we have a lot of games oh, but we coming will. up. <laughs> yeah, we have got a you know three games in a row against them coming up, um, where we're gonna have to figure out Markstrom because I think like his. His his uh save percentage against us this season must be like nine sixty or something like that. He's incredible against us, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we can't play Habs hockey and get in front of the net. Um, we just can't get in front of him. It's a, all of our shots are from the boards, and um, you know that's just not how we score goals. We don't have that you know Ovechkin who can just take a clapper from the top of the circle and uh, hit top shelf. We need like those passes from Perry 
you know, right at the right at the uh, right at the crease, essentially into the goal line. Yeah. So we need to carry it into the net, and we can't seem to do that with Calgary. So we're gonna have to figure something out. Yeah, and then on the seventeenth, the next day, we uh, had a four nothing loss to the Ottawa Senators. So I don't think there's much to say about that. Yeah. We had a goalie that was under an eight hundred save percentage, and no forwards to score goals. So, yeah. you know, and and I mean. The other part of that, too, I'm just thinking about it now, is um, aside from Toffoli, that would be how many minutes of hockey played without a goal from the forwards? Oh, just ridiculous amount. Because Kulak scored, and then 4 nothing loss, and then we lost 4-1 to the next yeah. game, which so, yeah, was... The, the, the latest game yeah. was we lost 4-1 to Edmonton. We just went over this in our latest between the whistles, but again, you know, we play a great... You know, when you said 55 minutes of hockey, and then it just all collapsed at the very end. And, you know, a lot, you know, like many teams in the NHL right now, like you, you have to play 60 minutes because, like, you let Connor McDavid go off for five full minutes, it's basically the deal's done. Yeah. So, and it was. And it was. So, let's get into the, you know, the big, uh, big button issues here before we go into the preview. Um, like, what were, you know, straying away from the between the whistles and the specifics of the game like what were the big major catastrophes this week that you that you saw the Habs make well I think the best way we can start with this is also just like start with the rink itself so the goalie the goalies were not the issue that's my opinion the save percentages were weak but they also had a massive variance we had 966 and 786 across the board so that Come, a lot of goalie stats come down to defensemen, which is that's exactly where I'm starting. Um, we cannot break out of our zone. No. The first pass or skating it. How many times this year have we seen turnovers breaking out of the zone? It led exactly to the first goal that Edmonton scored, and it's led to countless goals before that. So for me, the first of a few massive issues is our breakout. Like I don't understand why we cannot break out of the zone. No, at, like whatsoever. Yeah, it's uh, and it starts with the defenseman. I mean, we have a serious issue with the defense there. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's it's always it's not the forwards there. I mean, the the breaking out. You know, Tatar is always there on the boards. Anderson's always ready on the boards. Um. You know, our centers are you know decent carrying it up that second half of the, of our zone. But you know, our our using Petrie as an example because you know he's kind of the quintessential um you know poster boy like what's going wrong with the breakout right now his passes are extremely inconsistent and i don't even mean like tape to tape i mean like the power behind yeah, them sometimes, sometimes it barely he moves. flutters it and it basically doesn't move and uh you know basically that leads to another you know 30 seconds in our zone of them cycling the puck uh so you don't know what you're going to get and also like shea weber uh if you looked at his passes out of the zone you would swear that he's taking a wrist shot yep and I mean, they can't catch. Them. This is the thing, right? When you look at it, there's there's no one on the team who can do it, and that's the problem. Is like, it's it's the I mean, those two are the massive issue. Be, but they also play the entire game no, yeah. between the two they're of just, them. They're highlighted because they're the ones that we lean on. Yeah, and they're also again just from ice time alone. Yeah, they're just one of them is basically always on the ice. Yeah, so like Edmondson's not particularly good at it either, uh, and Sherrod is Sherrod's okay. Sherrod's okay. I yeah, Sherrod's decent at, at getting the puck out of the zone, but again, like. But he um, ices it a lot. He ices it a lot. That's the thing. It's like, it, I was just going to say that. It's like a trade-off with him. It's w- when he gets it, we're out. Uh, very rarely turns to turnovers, which is the major part of what I'm talking about when I say he's successful is, you know, I'd rather him ice it than us do what Petrie does or what Weber does and basically 
get it to about the ringette line and then you know all of a sudden we're cycling again and yeah um you know i don't know what's going on but it's uh kulak and and, and romanov too they struggle with it big time um which is surprising too they can skate yeah but it's just we don't break out well i don't know if it's maybe the fact that like we, we just have an old school system that doesn't, you know, allow for it. I don't know what it is. The only player that I know who, like, contributes really well to the breakout in terms of forwards are our centermen. Those are the, the all four of them. Yeah, they actually make themselves available now that I really think about it. I was going to say Kod Kinyemi, but as a whole, our center group do give the defense a yeah. third option. They don't always have to go off the wing. Yeah. Also, but it's just such a it's such a glaring issue because it translates into everything else. Because one of our biggest things, also of course, is the power play. But that's because we can't break out and we can't break in. Yeah. So before we jump into the power play, which is going to be another big topic, what is with specifically again Petrie and Weber with these cross crease passes in our zone? I I couldn't it's, it's tell you. It's absolutely insane. This I is just like couldn't tell this you. is like Adam B level stuff that you that you learn. When you're like six years they old, they go up the middle every ten seconds. They flub we, the puck. We get so many problem. turnovers right in front of the net. Like it, it's insane. It's, it's insane. It's, it's, there's no excuse for it. There's no explaining it. Like I really, I don't get it. Yeah, it, it's it's very frustrating. So let's jump into the power play now. So again, another polarizing issue. Um, you know, it's you gotta uh, you gotta completely scrub whatever you're doing. The only aspect that I would keep is Corey Perry. Yeah, let me just be clear. I don't mean polarizing in terms of if it's going well or not. I mean, the stats tell you it's not. Yeah. But I mean polarizing in the sense that there seems to be two camps on what we do here. Yeah. So there's like a modern era approach, which is what I lean into. I think you're leaning into too. Absolutely. Um, and then there's also these people who want to see, you know, us just set up Weber again. And, um, you know, I, I think that's borderline insanity. Yeah, I mean, um, there, there's... We do have two units, so... That's the thing. There's there's kind of three ways you can... I personally think you can use a power play. So, the first one is, I'll just call it... It's all based off of screens for me. So, the first is you have... Actually, there's technically four, now that I think about it. The first would be a static screen. So, you can kind of think of it like the people who would prefer Weber. So, you have kind of like two guys on the point taking one-timers... You've got two players on each wing and one guy in front of the net. That's like your prototypical old-school power play that we ran for years and years and years. And that's the one people who see Weber as the primary guy on the power play would trend towards. And the reason I say it's a static screen is because that guy from the front of the net doesn't move. Well, like with the play. He just doesn't leave his post. Then you get a more modern, it's kind of considered like a, I guess you can call it like a dynamic screen. Where basically now that guy who's screening only goes to the front of the net when the puck gets to the point. He plays behind the net. And basically if people want to imagine the crease getting kind of folded over into a full circle, that's where he's playing. So he's all behind the net in front of it and he kind of acts as a distributor. We see that a lot with Corey Perry, for example. There's a third style too, which I'm I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay does this. And look, we're not Tampa Bay, but this is I mean, they go with a no screen power play. The reason I would say that works well as also is because it depends on your team. Now I think we're a team that could benefit from that though, because we don't really have those guys who are good at screening and we don't have those guys who can place shots very well. We have guys who can shoot now. 
pulling that extra player into like the offensive threatening zone and putting him in the slot rather than in front of the net, you now have five options to shoot from. And then there's the last option, which I've never seen used, but I, I think we as a team would benefit from it the most. Um, just simply like a rush. Like just, yeah. you don't set up. You you just rush with all five, you the net, and you yeah. just everyone goes to the net, and then everyone comes back. It's like five up, five down hockey, and sometimes it'll work. Or even if you want to do four and one, just you have one guy back, whatever. You just you have the numbers, use them to your advantage. So in my head, a power play of let's just like I'm just gonna pick three random players, so everyone who jumps on me later yeah. about the power play. But Anderson, Kotkaniemi, and Toffoli are coming in, right? Also, Petrie's coming in, let's say. And then Romanov hangs back or something. You have four guys skating at... It's it's a lot of yeah. force coming in, and or you never know where the puck's Weber going. trailing, so you yeah. can feed him a slap shot. Exactly. Just use the numbers to your advantage. Like, the thing that bothers me about power plays overall today, not just with the Habs, but in general, is like you have five guys on the ice, and they have four. Setting up so that they can make a defensive like zone... Defense yeah, no. completely kills that also, whole point. I think it's getting to the point where it's it, it's almost it's almost getting no reaction out of me anymore that we don't have um, Josh Anderson carry the puck in in the in the power play. Which is yeah, it's, he should. He's the only guy on our team that can carry the puck. Period. Yeah. Okay. Like you can make the argument sometimes Petrie, but again, his consistency is so all over the place. That we just can't rely on him for that. I also just don't want the defense carrying it. Druin's never shown that he can do it. Okay, yeah. Tatar can do it. Okay, yeah. but I just I don't want him playing that role because if he gets like bodied on the boards, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather Anderson take that hit. But also Anderson can you know lean into the defense a little bit more. Um, but get Anderson doing that. Like, what are we doing? We're he not, does that five on five. The thing is, what we're doing, and I what I at least what I personally believe we're doing is that Ducharme has a system and he puts players into the system. He doesn't make the system Burrow, work with the players. Burrow's, we saw Burroughs have success with it. That's a thing. I, I know, but it's a one-trick pony I know, success. We have, we have to be adaptable. That's that's the issue. Is like we but have that thing, to... it, was, it was new, that whole thing with Corey Perry basically getting the puck down low and like sliding in front for Gallagher to just bang in. Yeah, well, we don't have that work or, or whoever it yeah. is. I just mean that No, player. I mean, like, I'm saying it doesn't work possibly yeah, but, now because right. we're missing that huge exactly. critical piece. But there. I'm saying, like, let's just say it's Anderson or something. Yeah. Zona can do it. The idea is, like, that works the first two, three times, but you're playing the same teams over and over. They know Corey Perry is going to slide down and put it through his legs, and whoever's there bangs it in. Like, it's the same play. Yeah, it's kind of like how we got, we got wise with the... Uh, Brock Besser thing in Vancouver there. Exactly. That's yeah. exact. Everyone just get, like, you can't, it'll work once in a while. That's the whole point, because it'll eventually, it'll sneak through, or someone will lose a puck battle. But you need, like, there's a reason why, for example, like, Washington, I bet, has a high power play percentage. Because, like, you know it's going to Ovechkin, but the idea is, like, he's going to score it's not anyway. Defendable. It's not defendable. It's not defendable. It's like, it's like Boston's Marshawn in front of the net thing. That's where they exactly bounce it, it off his skate. Yeah, when it's just he yeah. stands there and they just whip it off his skates. Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, yeah, that kind of trick works. However, it also works very well to take the eyes off of someone else. Yeah, but it works It works because it's dynamic. So, like, Marshawn yes. doesn't stand there the whole time. Exactly. He, he comes in when it, when it, when it, when it looks like they're going to do it. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he glides in there kind of sneakily. But, like, the problem with us is that we always... 
I find so far the last two years, and it's been very similar power plays the last three years probably. Yep. Uh, it's always been revolving around Shea Weber, but and and you know Jonathan Druin carrying the puck in. The problem is, is that we have no give in our power play. We're we're stiff as a board, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work very well when your team also struggles with like making tape to tape passes. Yeah. We've had the absolute worst time holding the blue line. Like it, it's it's insane. Like. When was the last time we've had a defenseman stop the puck on the blue line? Like, it's actually, I know. It, it's crazy. Now, so what we do with that is instead of, like, teach, you know, an old dog new tricks, is that we do, we're dynamic with our approach. We keep the puck more down low, or we do what you said, fourth uh, fourth option, play like a rush power play. Which I think would, be, like, that, that not only benefits us personally, but that's not something you're used to seeing. And it also, like, the big thing for me with, with penalty killing in general is like I always believe those like aggressive penalty kills yeah. work the best, not because they they inherently are better, but it's because the longer a player has to make a decision, like and not just in hockey, in life, the longer you have to make a decision, the better of a decision you're gonna make. So it's like it's the whole think fast concept of yeah. like yeah, you might get burnt once in a while where if you guys are doing, you know, if I'm if I'm killing a penalty and I rush at the puck carrier there's once in a while, especially with power play guys who are high talented, high skilled players, I might get, you know, someone might toe drag around me and make me look silly. But I would say probably, you know, 99% of the time, I'm just going to force a mistake. The same thing applies offensively. If you're coming at someone slow, you're giving them time to read the play. The second you're, you know, barreling in on them, imagine you're a defenseman. And you're trying to figure out where the puck's going. You've got Josh Anderson coming at you at whatever, you know, 30 kilometers this way. You've got Kotkaniemi cutting to the front of the net. You've got Tatar trailing. Like, all of a sudden, you have, what, maybe a second yeah, to decide? Enough. Now, imagine being a goal. Jumping into your into your power play thing there, okay, with how, you know, our power play's been going, too, not very well. I think we're in, like, the mid-20s or something like that. Um, at one point, we were almost worse in the league, but... You know, in terms of that, we're eighteen point eight on the season. Oh wow, okay, so decent improvement actually. But, um, you know, wait, eighteen point eight percent. Oh, percent. I thought you said eighteenth in the league. No, no, eighteen point eight percent. What is that? We're twenty first in the league. Okay, so a little bit of improvement. We, I think, last time I checked, we we're like twenty fourth or something. Okay. So a little bit of improvement. But um, my point is, is that that high pressure penalty kill. We don't really do that. We were doing that at the beginning of the, of the, of the season when we were getting all our shorthanded goals yeah. with Evans and Lekkanen. The, the thing that's frustrating about that too, though, is that we are the team in the NHL that's probably the most equipped to do that. Like, yeah. We have Arturi Lekkanen, who's like literally like a little tornado. Yeah. We have Paul Byron. Okay. We have Jake Evans. We have Philip Dano. Tyler Toffoli. Tyler Toffoli. All these guys are fast agile players that play very hard yeah and they know how to score too like say what you will about Arturi Lekanen every time he's given a prime score like a breakaway for example like he's got a good shot like this thing he He just doesn't play the role he doesn't play that role exactly I don't I don't want him to because he's not really a five-on-five guy he's not very clutchy but but that's it but you know every time he's coming in shorthanded it's a hard wrist shot and it goes in like what we forgot about Armia Armia is not particularly fast but he he's very good with the puck he plays hard and he's very strong and like but it's just we have so many options that we don't use but just yeah but it goes back to your theme there of like we're, we're we're putting square pegs in, in, in circle holes. Well, that's exactly But on both it. sides. We're doing that five on five. We're doing that on power play. We're doing that 
on the penalty kill. I, I find we've... And this is the one thing I want to talk about a lot, actually. It goes back to your identity thing. Though. Well, that that's exactly yeah, what I was alluding to. We don't have an identity. And I think, basically, the, the big issue is you've got... I, I'm doing this, like, like rough off the top of my head. You've got Bergevin's image of the team. You've got Ducharme's image of the team. You've got the players that are actually on the team. And then you've got the fans' perception of it. And, like, the least important one, ironically, is the fans. And then the next... I like I hate saying this, but it, it's gonna be the GM. In order, the way I would structure a team, and the way I think you just you have to, is you have to look at the players that are on the team. Then you have to basically say, how do these players fit with my coach? And then is that like as a GM, do you then acquire new players or do you get a new coach? That's the question. So basically, like putting. Um, like, putting all of our players, at least, like, forwards and defensemen we can break up, but, you know, putting them all kind of, let's say, like, uh, a very, like, binary-style list, kind of like uh, in the office there with, with Robert California with his list. <laughs> but, like, seriously, I'm gonna we're going to do this live. People can hear the paper. And so we're just going to break them down into just two categories. I'm just going to say, like... Who do you think of the forwards are Old basically age, just any any way you want. It doesn't have to be a specific category, but just who would you say are the two most like polar opposite players on the Habs roster in terms of forwards? Who are like the furthest apart? Okay, I'm going to go think about yours. Do you have yours in your head? I, I, I basically have mine in my head. Polar opposite players. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to think... Um, so, okay, so yours first. Okay, so thing. basically, I have Druin on one end because I'm saying all skill, no will. Yeah. And I have Gallagher oh, on the okay. other. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's how I'm gonna I do. So I'm gonna that. put Druin over here and Gallagher all the way over here. And if you guys can hear the pencil going, I apologize. Now you can do this one of two ways, but I'm just basically gonna make a line between the two of them. Just kind of think it's like a threshold. Okay. Let's just take this literally player by player. Uh, this is the middle line. Okay. So. Tatar. Let's establish the middle line first. Okay, so who is perfectly in the middle of skill and will? Um, I feel like maybe Kotkaniemi. I was trending towards Kotkaniemi, so let, let's just say perfect. Let's put him in the middle. Or Tatar. Those were the two yeah. I was debating let's on. Let's put Tatar, okay. just because he's more... Uh, yeah, he's more I, uh, I agree. Tatar's the good middleman yeah. anyway. So, let's start with Deno. Is he closer to skill or will? Will. Right. So I'm going to put Tatar in this category here. Uh, Deno in this category here. Let's go with Anderson. Skill or will? You do the next one. I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to put Anderson more in the will category. How about Suzuki? More in the skill. Okay. How about Kotkaniemi? Uh, hovering around the middle point a little bit more in the skill. Okay. What do you think? That's what I agree. I think he's more on the... I'm not. I'm not putting them. I'm just putting them. But anyway, okay. Lekkinen, will. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. Um, Armia, skill or will? Uh, again, he's kind of in that middle ground, but more in the skill. I think yeah. he's more in the skill as well. I think he's got a lot of untapped potential. Um, to Foley, uh, skill. Agreed. Um, Jake Evans, will. Will exactly. We're basically agreeing with us. Byron, will. Agreed. Last two. We've got Eric Stahl. Skill. And we've got Corey Perry. A good middle ground again, but I'm going to put more in the will. Okay. I'm going to put him in the will. Fine. I'll put him there. 
So, just for argument's just sake here. Just because it is new. Uh, yes, yeah, no, no problem. But just for argument's sake here, you've got one, two, three, four, five. You've got six players right here who you would label as more skillful than willful players. Yeah. And you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in the will category. So now you've built a team. First but of all, here, look, it's I'm also just, very close. I'm, I'm going to say one thing first, okay? I think, honestly, that might not have been the best categories just because I, you do need right. both. Because, like, you're not going to have skill guys on the fourth line. I completely, no, no, I completely I agree. A, I think we should do it a category based on old age and new age because that's where we seem to be in limbo. I think, like, we're in limbo between, like, Eric Stahl and Kotkaniemi. Well, no, yeah, and I'm, I, no, I'm 100% getting there. I'm just saying, like, this is the first, like, part to it. Um... We've got this team that's basically split right up the middle in terms of their effort level over their uh, talent level, right? And you basically then would say, okay, well, that's good. You have a mix of player types. The problem is, if you look at the players you have here, a lot of them are being put on separate lines. Yeah. And you're basically okay. saying, like, this is our skill line. This yeah. is our will line. Like, So that was my first issue of, like, we don't have an identity because, you know, you don't have, like you said, an all-around player playing with a skill player and a will player. It's like yeah. you basically have, if you notice here, like, for example, literally, Druin, Suzuki, Toffoli was last yeah. night. Or Tatar, Deno, Gallagher, Byron, Deno, Gallagher, Byron, uh, Tatar, Deno, Anderson, Tatar, Deno, Lekkanen. It's all the same guys in the same categories. Yeah. You never, like, when was the last time you saw Kotkaniemi play with... Uh, I'm trying with the big Gallagher. Yeah. What like he Doesn't replaced happen. him. Yeah. And so anyway, that was my first issue. Now I want to do the exact same thing, but uh, what you were saying, new school or old school? So who's the yeah. most old school player on the team? Probably Corey Perry. That's what I think too. Old school right here, and who's the most new school? Cole Caulfield excluded. Yeah, excluded. Just just from those guys we mentioned. Uh, I'll, pro- I'll I'm leaning towards Toffoli actually. Okay, because I, 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 I'm curious. I find his just the way he plays that he's a much more cerebral player. Okay, which is interesting because Corey Perry is a cerebral player, but I find the outcome of like their their the way they think is just very very different. Like, um, I'm trying to think of a better example, just because like I'm I'm fighting the urge to be like who is our future versus mm-hmm. who is like not our future. Okay, because but. I, I, I get with what you're saying. Like Suzuki, like Suzuki. That like, was my answer. Suzuki's to the like most my number one. New but I, I, like again, I wanted to kind of take out that bias of like he's going to be our future in five six years mm-hmm. kind of thing. Okay. But let's run with Suzuki. I think that's. Just I think it's. I think it's very just from like a position. yeah exactly because you could also make the argument Toffoli might be a good middle ground there. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is Toffoli's kind of in the middle there, and again, a lot of this is going to correlate to age. Yeah. But I I agree that I think Toffoli should be in the middle. So. Let's just let's start again. Tatar is he more new school or old school? See, I'm in the middle again. He's okay. A very I I think he just think? goes to the to the new school. Yeah. Just because when I think new school versus old school, it's like I think are you able to basically skate and stick handle your way out of a situation? Yeah. Less and, and less grit. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's really a. Grit That's why thing. Tatar kind of made that middle ground for it, me, but it leans right. Leans. It, yeah, because he has Suzuki. some talent behind. Yeah. So then Deno. Yeah, more old school. That's what I think. Um, Gallagher. Old school. Agreed. Druin. New school. Agreed. Uh, we said Suzuki Anderson. Old school. I agree. Yeah. He's that prototypical power forward. Lekkanen. 
Old school. Kotkaniemi. See, he's kind of tough. He's... he's tough, but not with potential, just what he's doing. Yeah. I think he's new school. I think yeah. he's very much a modern-day NHLer where he kind of floats around a yeah. little bit. I'm but gonna... again, if this was on a continuum, he'd lean center. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. They're all going to hover the yeah. center, but I'm just saying, where is he trending most? So we said to Foley. All right, Byron. Uh, old school. Okay. Uh, Actually, no, new school. I would say, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think a little more new school. Even like This is where it's good that the players aren't just the old ones on one side and the other. Jake Evans. Uh, Old school. I agree. Armia. Uh, New school. Agreed. And finally, Eric Stahl. Probably new school. You think? Yeah. I'm just trying to think because, like, Eric Stahl plays like. Another another confounder I'm trying to get out of my head, too, is, is like old school isn't just. Uh, no skill. No, I no. You know? Well, that's it. It's I. When I say old school, I mean like, would he have survived the nineties? That's how I'm thinking about. It. That's exactly how I'm thinking. About. I'm thinking of like, well, would he, would he be able to like think his way out of like a pronger hip check? Exactly. Thing? Which like, I'm torn. So I'll, I'll after defer. seeing literally that that that, that, that bias hit. is off of that how hard he played last night. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll defer you. So I'll, I'll put him in old school. Okay. So there we go. Let's do the recount again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven to one, two, three, four, five, six. So this is this is I'm actually happy this worked out this way. Once again, we just basically have a six and seven. Like we we have a almost perfect split yeah. on things. You just these are things you don't want. And this and that, kind yeah. of like makes my point. I do you could do a million of these. You'll always get with thirteen forwards a seven six split. Yeah, and more importantly, if we look at the the guy, because we don't we don't base our team we don't base our team identity or our team's success on all twelve forwards. Of course not. What we do is we we have our defense goalie, uh, our our defense, our goalies, and our uh, forwards. We obviously have every team does has our our core bunch that basically drive our team forward. And if you look at that right now, it's not. We kind of have these conflicting views here. Like we have oh, Weber, it. we have Price, we have Gallagher, we just got Anderson, but then we also have like this Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, Caulfield, where well, like there's a huge clash. Well, that's it. I find we're we're in this weird like estuary of ideas where it's like um, he's been studying. For yeah, exactly. <laughs> the estuary is where uh, seawater and freshwater meet. Um, but seriously, like that's really what it is because, and I, I, I'm gonna roll with this analogy because I think it's actually perfect. Now that I think about it, you've got one side that has a current moving one way, and the other that has a current moving the other way, and it's just not. Not only is it counteracting each other, but you're getting something kind of undefined, and like you don't know how far it ranges, and you don't really know what to do with it. Yeah, but you, so, yeah, to, just to make that less, um, like. Uh... Like not clear. <laughs> uh, I, I think what we mean here is that like you get a mix of basically the worst of both worlds. Like you well, don't that's you, exactly you don't get it. the benefits from either. So like if we right. played old school and we had like a bunch of Corey Perry's, that would actually work very well. Yes. But the problem is though is that we have Corey Perry followed you know playing more importantly on the power play with guys that like we don't really have a mold for him there. You know exactly. What I mean? and, well, like, this is it, and like this is where I'm getting at is like. You you simultaneously have a team that is trying to win right now for Carey Price, yeah. Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, these guys who are in their thirties, who it's you built this team, they've done the work, and like it's time to win. 
and they have long contracts that essentially mean they're going nowhere. Yeah. You're also trying to, um, you know, like breed like this winning culture and give these young guys time to play like the Suzuki's and the Kotkaniemi's and the Caulfield's and the Romanov's. Yeah. But the problem is you can't do that without sacrificing ice time for guys who are like the Danos, the Lekkonen's, the Druins, like guys who are basically in their prime. Yeah. And so what you end up getting is a very broken system of we're going to play you for this much and then you for this much and then you for that much. And then it's basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep all their eggs in a basket when it's overflowing. And yeah. like the big thing is you have to pick... You can basically survive with... You know, let's break it up into those three categories. You got guys on the rise, guys in their prime, and guys on the decline. Okay? You can basically survive with two of those. You can never have all three. Yeah. So, you know, do you clean house with the old guys? That's very hard to do. Because one, you lose like you lose a lot of leadership, and you end up sacrificing a lot just to move those contracts. Yeah. So I'd say it's the hardest let go. You also don't want to get rid of all your young guys because then you literally are sacrificing the future. Yeah. And you know it always stings to see like look at how Vegas must feel about Suzuki. As much as they like Pacioretty, they must really be like, oh, that could have been our centerman. Yeah. And then you're left with like, oh, do I get rid of all of my like prime NHLers? So the the problem is. We didn't, and this goes way back, we didn't re, um, we didn't, uh, what's it called? Uh, when you, uh, rebuild. Yeah. We retooled. Yeah. That was the yeah. whole thing. And it's backfiring because, again, we, we just constantly put band-aids on everything every time it happens, like something happens yeah. instead of just like leaning into it a little bit and fixing the yeah, problem look, look we had the years with the centerman we had the year we had the years with the centerman but like we weren't you know you know gonna bite off any of these huge ufas mm-hmm. so we were kind of in limbo there and then we had the you know the few years of like oh wait just we need a lefty that big lefty mm-hmm. you know and then and then now don't it's forget kinda, the backup goalie then the backup goalie when we were struggling with niemi there and then like you know now we're at this point where we're kind of confronted with ourselves and we're looking at ourselves in the mirror as like a team and we're kind of like well, there's no obvious problem. There is an identity crisis. Right. And, like, you know, the, the problem isn't move a player here, move a player here, there. It's, like, the whole team is kind of jumbled. Well, that's it. And, like, this, this is the thing of, like... We have, like, 80 forwards. Well, <laughs> that's, that's it. And this is why I, like, you know, a perfect example of this. I mean, there's teams... Look, there's a team like the Senators, right? They completely sold everyone away think about that year where they got yeah. rid of carlson and duchene and stone and dezingle and i, I kept them putting him in that category yeah. too but you know what i mean they got rid of absolutely everyone who was who didn't want to be there and they, they i mean ottawa's been a long time laughing joke yeah yeah laughing stock but the thing is now looking at their lineup for let's Wait, say for nothing well that's the thing and like this is now i'm saying think about it maybe like let's say like five years from now when Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzel, um Thomas Shabbat Connor Brown Con- all these guys Connor, are in their mid are in their mid twenties. Since March, Connor Brown's tied with Matthews and goals. Well there you go. And I'm saying like but I'm saying these guys they've invested their time into developing. Yeah. They have so many players that haven't even played yet. You know, like it's like we, we don't realize how many prospects they, they have. So many. They're loaded. And then to basically like let those guys mature gradually 
instead of basically just just panicking, drafting, let's say, like, uh, Tim Stutzel and putting him first-line center. But they, they just didn't do that. That was yeah. it. They, they, they took their time, and it's paying off, you know? Versus look at the complete opposite. Look at the Penguins, right? The Penguins knew they had obviously struck gold with Crosby and Malkin. They rode that out for as long as they could. And then what they tried to do is basically like defibrillate them every time something happened by trading away a first-round pick. I don't think Pittsburgh in the last five years has made more than one first-round pick. I'm actually going to search that now. Yeah, it's true. Eh? Yeah. But so what they did is they invested in the now. And then so Ottawa invested in the future. Um, Pittsburgh invested in the now. But you see like they're committing to something. Yeah. You know, it's That's like... The thing. We, we kind of... We take up that middle ground and ironically we finish mid, you know, middle of the pack every single time. Well, exactly. Time. And you can also like completely fuck up too. Look at San Jose. They invested in the now, sold their entire future, but they also only invested in guys on the decline. They yeah. invested in guys only in their 30s, yeah. all of their good players in their 30s, and their rookies are just not ready yet, and they have no middle guys. So they yeah. only have one of the... It seems to, to be good you need two of those three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last time the Pittsburgh Penguins had a first-round pick, it was actually in 2019. It was Samuel Poulain, but 2020, they didn't have one. 20. 18 they didn't have one 2017 they didn't have one 2016 they didn't have one 2015 they didn't have one and then 2014 they had one and it was Kasperi Kapanen like you can't build a team with two first round picks in the last seven years yeah the thing is though is like when you have guys like Crosby and Malkin like even when they're retired and you realize how fucked you are they've created such a dynasty that like exactly. it, it doesn't matter no, and that's what I'm saying people like, who should all, all the Penguins fans will be fine being crap for 15 years after the dynasty absolutely and that's the whole point though is they they saw their window and they took it you know it's the same thing look at all these teams Chicago look at Pittsburgh look at but I find they all do different things I think for example LA I don't think people realize LA was one of the best teams in the oh, last yeah. 15 years yeah. they won I think they won three cups right yeah three but they have what is arguably the best prospect pool in the NHL yeah they have like an incredible up-and-coming team and like you can just see that it's just it's all management like this yeah. the whole thing and like it's it's just so what do we do now Let's this, this is practical. what I'm saying this is this is difficult so like for me if, are you personally like what do you do okay so me i have literally it it comes down to 100 percent. do we make the playoffs this year because this year arguably was the easiest year to make the playoffs yeah by far yeah because we don't, more than half the division makes yeah. the playoffs let's and also let's let's pull up the standings here okay the north division isn't very competitive no it's okay not. And, and that's that's another issue they, they actually have to look at because if we look at overall um you know Toronto, who's the uh, you know leading, um, obviously the North, uh, is comes in at seventh place. Yeah. Okay. So you got Vegas, Colorado, Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay, Washington, then Toronto. That is one point ahead of the, the Islanders, and the Islanders have a game in hand. Yeah. Okay. And then so when's the, where's the next Canadian eighth. team? The next Canadian team is eleventh with Winnipeg. Yeah. Okay. Um, How many Canadian teams though are in the bottom half of the league? In the bottom half of the league, we have the Habs, Calgary. So four. Uh, yeah, so four. Yeah. Yeah. And then the... So more than half of our division is yeah. the bottom and half the, of the league. The, and then the top half of our division is the bottom half of the top half. Well, there you go. Yeah. So they're the second... The half of the top of the... Th- yeah. They're the, they're the second quartile 
of the league, which, yeah. which isn't a good indicator because, no. you know, look at how, like, revered Toronto is in the North Division right now. Statistically, six, uh, seven teams would, would beat them, yeah. basically, which is, which is terrifying to think about. Um, and and just to put it in perspective, teams that are that are ahead of us that people don't think are very good, like Nashville's ahead of us. Yeah. The Rangers are ahead of us. Like Pittsburgh is ahead of us. Like yeah. you know what I mean, like Pitt, everyone thought Pittsburgh was gonna be on the decline this year. They're playing great. Yeah. Well, you know? this is, this is the thing. It's like this is what I'm getting. So it, there's two things I would do. In the event that let's take the easier route first, we miss the playoffs. Okay. I'm not even being like I'm not trying to be funny. I'm like I'm I'm being genuinely serious. You pick a year. I think the last time they did like a massive study on NHL players was 2015. So this could be a bit outdated, but um, according to those stats, players forwards peak at age 28 and defensemen peak at age 29. Those are my cutoffs. Let's just let's just assume it's the same okay, numbers. Let me interject here for a second here. Okay, and I know you're going to address it, but we have guys that aren't movable. Agreed, yes. Everyone who is movable and does not meet that category is gone. I'm yeah. not even kidding. I don't care if they're That's a good player. That's not as extreme as you think it is. Though. Well, the, and, because, this like, is the thing, the though. The big pieces that are basically going to sink us are movable. Right, but, but this is the thing, too, that people don't understand is, like, that means, like, not just the bad players that are over that limit so like i'm not just saying like oh you know like paul byron had a had a rough you know start yeah. his bad cap no, you mean like tatar i mean byron. like tatar is gone byron's gone um uh gallagher like literally everyone who does not meet that standard is out you get what you can for them and you know what there are teams for example that really would take on a shea weber contract they, they're for the right price this is the thing i'm saying like to within reason if you can find a team willing to pay that price, you you pay that price. You literally take that complete chop. Because then, one, your cap situation is completely fixed. And you, you don't need to spend all of that money, but you do spend a good portion of it. And two, I mean, look. Weber is a no movement. No, I do. No, he doesn't. He That's doesn't? the thing. Oh, he doesn't okay. have a no movement, which is interesting for Seattle. Yeah. But the only two, three guys actually on the team with no movement is Gallagher, Petrie, and Price. Okay. Again, that's that means like you have to talk to them and everything, but they they can waive a no movement. My my whole thing with this though is like you just you cut off, like the extra fat, yeah. even if it's you know even if the fat tastes good. That's <laughs> that's the best way I can put it. That's my first scenario, and like as much as that's kind of like like hitting the doomsday button a little bit. Like it's it's almost like necessary at that point. What about goalies? Goalies, I remember specifically, like from that study I'm citing, um, they have no like discernible so data. We keep Allen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, they have no discernible data in terms of peak. Yeah, no, because some goalie, it's be, just because goalie stats are so reliant on the team. Like Mark Andre Fleury is the fourth most winningest goalie. Well, look at, in the history of the NHL. Carter Hart this year. He's exactly, ass. but he's gonna be the best goalie in the league yeah. at one point. I mean, it's like an eight eighty. Exactly. Something. Or like, for example, Carey Price is the most winningest goalie of all time in Canadians history. Yeah. Is he better than Patrick Waugh? Is he better than Ken Dryden? Probably the one? is better. Probably yeah. yes, but I mean, it's if, not clear. Yeah. But if if you're if you're looking at their rap sheets, I mean, yeah, 
you know, Ken Dryden won uh, yeah, six Stanley Cups in seven you, years. Yeah, you can't loop your argument on itself. Though. No, no, I'm making yeah. my own point here. Okay. It's like it's not on the goalie. Yeah. That's what I mean. Is it would appear as though Ken Dryden, again, played eight years of hockey. I'm, I'm pretty sure eight years. Won seven Stanley Cups, won the gold medal, and retired. Yeah. Went on, became a lawyer. Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't prove anything. It yeah. just means that he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea is, like, I also think Carey Price is going to the Hall of Fame. However, it's neither here nor there. I'm just saying, you eat some salary. You do what you can. You just you move what is possible to move. Um, I do agree there are some guys who no team will take. Um, do I think, you know, it's kind of convenient with Seattle right now? Probably. Because, you know what? If Seattle can't get anything going and they go, hey... Don't protect Shea Weber. We'll take him. Yeah. If you miss the playoffs this year, that's oh, something oh, I consider. That'd be like I'd a, consider it. And I love... You know how much I love Shea Weber. Yeah, me too. His jersey's right there. Yeah. Like, I was... Again, I've said it before on the podcast. That's someone who, like, when I... we, You and I were one of the few who celebrated the P.K. Subban trade. Yeah. I thought it was a good move. No, it's just... The fact that the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, long-term, you know, there's no Shea Weber. Just, you know, right. age-wise and... Um, you know, it, it, it's just you can you can love Shea Weber and also realize that you know by the time that we're in a position to win, like this guy will be buried. Yeah, and like again, then there's gonna be the sides of it too of like it benefits Shea Weber or Carey Price to go to Seattle because they're from the West, they have mm. family out there. Carey Price's wife is from Seattle. Like there's yeah. little things that like would be enticing, but like the idea is that's that's scenario one. That's what we'll call it. Like you know code red yeah <laughs> um there's then, actually three scenarios here. yeah i i mean yeah at the yeah. very least because yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna count you know the next one is a first round exit yeah okay? as i was gonna then say the second one is anything an exit anything after the second exactly i was gonna say so the first is you make the playoffs and you're out immediately yeah at that point what i would do is kind of like a light version yeah here let me that. let me take this i want to hear what you're gonna say yeah the first First round exits one of those ones where it's like, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. So mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's, I'm kind of going off of what you said there. It's like, first round exit, I'd almost rather not make the playoffs or obviously go for, which is mm-hmm. the obvious choice, right? Because when you're in that middle ground there, that almost like fits our team. Yep. It's kind of like, you don't know which way to go. Um, are we good enough? Did we just have a bad four or five games, uh, assuming a sweep? Or was it, you know, especially if you throw in the confounder of like, oh, well, Gallagher was injured. Yeah. You know, then it's like, oh, well, now where do I go? Because like, if you if you have a, you take the Philly series last 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 playoffs there, you know, it, it's not clear if Gallagher played if we would have lost that last game. Like, right. it's really also, not sorry, clear. Not, not to cut you off, I just, I did want to mention because it's relevant to this. We got an email in from a listener, Matthew, who basically just said he's tired of the Canadians just barely making it every year and he wants to see us actually feel confident going in that we didn't get in on a technicality and i think that's just relevant yeah. to what you're no, saying yeah well it was a technicality last year and, and like you know it ended up working out with us because we we tend to play those hard games well um and you know again like fitting with the habs you know a brutal injury to to, to gallagher you know really really uh hurt us that last game but again, like it, it puts you in this kind of um, purgatory of like, you know. But oh, if we just had Gallagher, or if yeah. oh, we just had Price, because like you know, if Price is injured this year, I don't think he will be. I think it's just a minor upper body injury. But 
there always seems to be this kind of like contingent factor of us losing. Like we lost yeah. because we weren't healthy, which seems to be like every single year. Oh, yeah, and when Sidney Crosby's out for the Penguins and they go on a seven-game so, win streak. Exactly. Right now. So like what what I do on uh, if we if we have a first round exit, let's say Toronto just beats us in six. Okay. okay. What I do is I look at who played the best in that series. Okay, so like if you take last playoff run, for example, it's clear it's the young guys. Yeah. Okay, that's Kotkaniemi, that's Suzuki. Definitely throw Caulfield in there. I, I guarantee you he would have played well. Right. Oh, okay? and you're saying invest in that. And invest in that. Okay, okay? I like So that. I'm saying no matter what, you just invest in that. Okay. You, like looking at the stats, obviously. Mm, if, if yeah. You, if they're playing well. Like let's mm-hmm. say you have a uh, Suzuki is a phenomenal series. Kotkaniemi is a phenomenal series, blah, blah, blah. You invest in the youth. Where it gets tricky is if we kind of see what's happening now, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like we have these short little bursts of like a week or two where Suzuki looks like he's gonna you know lead the Habs to you know a new dynasty, and then you have these kind of pure, these lulls of like I didn't even know Suzuki played tonight, mm-hmm. and and that's what I'm kind of worried about because if we see that in the playoffs, then again it's kind of like a coin flip. It's like right, you know, because it could be that we get to the playoffs first round exit. But Corey Perry played like he played for Dallas last season, and it's kind of not obvious what's happening. Well, that's that's it. Now I, I I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this, and obviously it's not maybe my first instinct of what to do with the team, but there is an argument to be made that if you just keep basically trading away not draft picks but young guys who you're developing to teams with NHL ready players. So let's just say for example you were to trade Nick Suzuki away. Okay, I don't think it's gonna happen. But the idea is, like, you could get a very decent, like, haul for Nick Suzuki, especially if your asking price is specifically, like, draft picks and NHL players. Like, you don't want prospects. If that's... If the, I, I almost think of it as, like, people who, like, do, like, flipping, you know? It's like, you, you get these young guys, like, again, it'll hurt to watch them be good players. But basically, let's say you draft Rasmus Dahlin first overall, but you're a team... And, and, you know, you go and you build a team in the first year. Let's say Buffalo makes a Stanley Cup run, right? The next year, they do it again. And now in his final year of his entry-level deal, um, they go and they trade Rasmus Dahlin for basically uh, a top-six forward, a top-two defenseman, and a first-round pick. And that wins the Cup. It's arguable that if you just keep doing that, hey, where you're basically... Like, but but you're also always keeping the team at that like twenty six year old, twenty seven year old level of just like proven NHLers, and yet you're trading away superstars every time. But the idea is one, you'll never have a cap issue, and two, because most of these players come with their cap hit, and two, you're always gonna have proven kind of seasoned yeah, guys on the team. The, the the one flaw there though is that if that actually works, then you're not drafting superstars anymore. Right. Well, that that that's exactly it. Is like you you have to kind of find a way of it works for a little it. while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, no, but then you have your strategy. team established. Yeah, then you have an established. That's what I mean. Team. By the time they go out, then you have the good draft picks yeah. in because your team's crap. Yeah. So now, what do you do if we make a a run into the second or third round? Well, then I would say that you've done your job and you you evaluate you, you hone. Yeah. Well, you you basically yeah you hone in on what the issues were that didn't yeah. get you through. You also then literally and I this sounds like a very non, um, like me or you thing to say, but you you just also say like how lucky were you? Yeah. You know, like that that series last year against Philadelphia, Carter Hart yeah. played the best hockey of his life against Carey Price, 
who was literally the like one of the best goalies in the playoffs yeah. even after we were out like if it had like the question is if it had been any other team with the Canadians well, look at that, that very last game that we played against them remember yeah. that just like absolute fluke of a goal that went in on Carey Price yeah. like, the, the puck just like bounced through his pads yeah and that like literally lost us the series yeah. so you know, so it's like you have to take that into account. And it doesn't play a big part, but it does play a role. So yeah, it's I think the worst case to be in is losing in the either uh, conference final or Stanley Cup final because you know your team is good. Yeah, and then we got to kind of salvage. Because the thing is we have to salvage the, the kind of the missing pieces that aren't actually missing pieces, but they're like age-related. The well, that's is, it. So know, basically so. what it comes down to is if you miss the How playoffs... How healthy will Weber be next playoffs? Well, that's you know it. I mean, like, and so if you miss the playoffs, you sell the old dogs. If yeah. you make the playoffs and don't go too far, you sell the new dogs. And if you go far, you, you bring in some, some medium age. Where you sell the new dogs? Like, I'm saying, like we were saying, if you basically only have an early exit, yeah. you start basically, I, I was saying, assume, like, let's say your middle guys, middle age to upper age yeah. guys, you, you invest in them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then basically, if you're, you know, if if you go far, then you have a team. Yeah, and you know you, it. Yeah, you, just, you just you go of, get uh, someone who can help. Yeah, then you just, you, you fix the glaring holes that always show their, I, their face in the playoffs. Now, I do find Bergeron is kind of treating the team as though we've gone to the cup three years in a row. Yeah, that's the thing. I was just going to say that. So, like, that could be an issue, too, is maybe his view on the team. This goes back to identity. He could see us as contenders right now, but maybe we're really bubble teams. And, yeah. like, maybe that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah. I, a big thing with the Habs, too, though, is and I still have this. I don't know if it's justified or not, but I still have this feeling with this team that it's basically just get us to the playoffs and we'll perform. You know, I think it might be a little bit of, like, confirmation bias. Well, that's bias. mantra. Yeah. It's that's literally just, his mantra. Yeah, confirmation bias from last season with the bubble. Yeah. But I just see, like, our team has such, like, a character behind it that, like, you know, just, like, how we play you know against these teams that tend to rough us up a little bit more you get that in the playoffs and as soon as i i find there's a bit of a rivalry going the habs just absolutely take over and like that's why i think that um you know we're not really going to see that changing of the guard until it's like absolutely necessary like yeah. weber is like hanging on by a string yeah uh until then because i think we're in this perpetual just get us there. Let's just get us there. And well, that's that's it, right? And I mean, the the things that this this transition well is like, I worry that there's going to be certain players that don't want to buy into that. You know, I do now worry a bit about Philip Deneau, just because all of his projectables have him, let's say, signing a contract anywhere between uh, three and a half and four and a half million, and we know he rejected a five. Yeah. So. The teams are nowhere near each other. Because if, let's say, a high end, we offer him four and a half, and he's rejecting five, like, that means he wants five and a half, maybe six. And, like, if he walks, that throws a whole monkey wrench into the whole thing because that Does wasn't it? part of the yeah. plan. The That's thing, what I mean. he's, he's a huge piece of the team, and I'd actually be crushed if he left. Yeah. But the thing is, though, is that if we do buy into the new guys realistically philip denos our third c so it's like it's not huge i, mean, like, I, I agree i'd I like to see like... I was, we were talking about this before though one i don't want to see evans go no okay and two i'd actually like to retry paling next year yes i i, I think it's time he's showing a lot of good promise yeah. in the ahl and i think look it this is what i mean if you're gonna commit to suzuki kotkaniemi paling and evans commit to them 
and like get like you said like we have veteran wingers on the sides yeah. but like commit to it don't show me eric Stahl. Yeah. you know like don't don't show me philip deno anymore if that's where you're committed like do it and like lean into it and make it happen roll four lines if you have young centermen i'm sure between the four of them and i mean this is the thing too is face-offs are not as big a deal as we think i think i saw tsn showed that like 60 percent of the last like 15 years or something stanley cup champion teams were under 50 percent as a team hmm. in face-offs so it's not a big deal you know so yeah i don't let's know let's go into our um our um starting lineup this week yeah. it's gonna be tough the only guy i really have up there this week and i like i think you basically agree with me is brett kulak like you know yeah. he had a goal and he had two assists yeah, and, and um, it's also, I mean, it's going to be a touch of uh, process of elimination. Yeah, it is. But he did yeah. play well. He did play well. Like, he's one of the few D. Him and him and, um, uh, him and Romanov this week are basically the only two that, like, I was happy with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Romanov had a nice hit. Like, Sherrod, I'm, I'm leaving as neutral just because, like, I haven't, we haven't really seen enough of him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Edmondson, Petrie, and Weber all looked like they struggled. Edmondson's plus minus is way down. I think he's, like, sixth in the league now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's why we were saying, like, I could see him, like, jumping Dumb, out of the yeah, bench during that. Uh, you know, Change! Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm yeah. going to go with Brett Kulak. Who do you have? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn, but I'm going to go just from the fact that, you know, he's leading our entire team in hits and he has been for all season and, you know, he just, he, he just is starting to really find his stride. I'm going to go with Romanov. Yeah, no, I'm happy with Romanov. Um, I, I'm going to take the first forward then. Um, I'm going to just take the easy cop out. I'm going with Toffoli. He scored two goals. We've scored three in the last three games. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Paul Byron. I think, you know, last two weeks, three weeks, he's shown us again that he can actually step up when he needs to and, and play those first line minutes. And, you know, I just appreciate his hustle out there when, like, everything else is going wrong. Like, you can just count on Byron to play hard. And he just is what he is. You know, and, and that's the most yeah. I can say right now. I mean, I, I, our forwards are struggling so badly. Um, you know, it seems like no one's scoring, like just no one well, can do it. it. No, no one is. <laughs> um, so uh, you, it gets you to appreciate the guys who, um, you know, aren't leading that charge and do other things on the ice. And one of those guys is Paul Byron. Right. And I think, uh, lastly, it'll just, it'll have to be Druin. Uh, you fucking, okay. <laughs> okay. You're fucking with me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to go with Armia. Um, yeah. he's come back. He hasn't done much, but every time he has the puck, I notice one he makes smart plays. That's a fucking bitch slap you with <laughs> But uh, yeah, basically Armia just makes smart plays. He's got a good mind for the game, but he also is giving us a little bit of you know strength and size down low. I was gonna say Eric Stahl just because like I did like scored, his game yeah. and he scored, but he plays well against Edmonton. But it's but that's exactly it. There's there's six of the teams he has to play well against. Yeah. That's why he kind of lost his spot. So Armia after coming back, like he's had a few good chances. Um, you know, I just I I I we do miss him when he's gone. Yeah, so I'm going do. with Armia. Yeah, that's it for forwards, right? Yeah, fully. Yeah. So Jesus Woo! Christ, that's bad. bad. Like, yeah, it's tough. Um, last thing I wanted to say, what was it? It was uh, right as of right now. Who do you want to play in the first round the most? Um, like realistically, yes, being fourth or third. We're we're more seeing movement with uh, Edmonton, Winnipeg. Honest, honestly. I, that's tough because here's the thing, Toronto, I don't feel comfortable going into 
a long series with only because they're more dynamic than we are. So they will learn our game faster than we'll learn theirs. And I really respect them for getting Nick Foligno. I I think that's one of those guys that you do pick up at the trade deadline and he does take your team that extra round. Um, Edmonton, we've had the best track record this year with but like again it takes five minutes yeah you know and like that's a lot of firepower going in especially with a goalie that's that hot that's another thing too is like you know we got jack campbell who's like all of a sudden like uh you know ken dryden well that's it okay and breaking carrie price's records and all this stuff yeah um you know it's not easy like and then yeah just to say winnipeg's been the hardest one for us so my answer is vancouver (laughs) i think honestly it would have to be edmonton i i yeah toronto i'm i'm kind of torn with toronto if i'd rather play them in the first round or second because at least the second you know that they'll be a little bit more beat up but at the same time if they make it to the second their confidence and like they'll have that monkey off their back yeah you know so like that's what scares me so it's like I uh, I don't know. I don't know which is better. Like, do we do we go against the Toronto that's expecting to do well, or do we go against the Toronto? Uh, sorry, not a Toronto that's expecting to do well. Do we go against a Toronto that's still kind of unsure about themselves and kind that's of? That's it. It has that like that stigma. We always go out in the first. It's always no matter what. You or know? do you go against the Toronto that's a little bit more injured, but? They're confident that yeah, they won the first like, round. Yeah, they're like, we finally broke through yeah. kind of thing. Um, That's it. I'd rather go against Edmonton because at least Edmonton, Edmonton can turn around and be like, you know what? If we use the series from the season, we would have lost. And, yeah. like, they, maybe they, I don't know. It'll at just be... At the same time. And also, it's at tough. the same time, we would be able to bully Toronto a little bit more. A little, but a little not bit. as much as we yeah. used to. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Because like Felino had some... You know, good grit so there. Good. Wayne Simmons is a guy that you really want in the playoffs. Yeah, and we uh, like it, it negates Corey Perry because they're the same player. Yeah, they're the same player. But it's also um, just the the guys on that Toronto squad that they've added. They they were their lines now. Well, that's the thing. They added them for the playoffs. Oh, yeah, but the Imagine second, Joe Thornton in your bottom six. Yeah, like, the second the second uh, the second round adds another confounding variable. That means Hyman would definitely be back. Oh, 100%. And yeah. Hyman, like, that, he might be make the first. Well, their, their top six, six would be Felino, Matthews, and Marner, and then Hyman, Tavares, Nylander, oh and God. then Kerfoot, uh, Thornton, and Simmons. Or yeah. Engvall, who's apparently the cycle king of Toronto, yeah, who can hold the puck against Montreal for a minute then 16. Then they have Jason Spezza. Yeah, Spets on the fourth line who puts up as many goals as like yeah, Nylander. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, they're, they're, they're just a well look. They're team. a well built. Their team. last piece there was the goaltending, and yeah. like Jack Campbell is just like absolutely unreal. Yeah. So, see, this is the thing. Now we'll see, but again, we'll see how they play in the playoffs because it, it almost seems like every year it's like this. Well, this so. is it. I'm not worried about Toronto in the sense of like I know they're not winning the cup this year, yeah. and if they do, we'll just edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, I honestly like we're, we're we already we broke our hour mark there, so yeah. I might uh, I I ran out of things that I want to talk yeah. about. We'll wrap it up there. We have a um, long week this week, a lot yeah. of games, a lot of important games, and um, yeah. I will say though, what we've already begun planning the uh, end of season podcast. By my end, by my estimation, it'll be close to two hours. Oh yeah. For so sure. <laughs> we yeah. will see, but uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. 
We'll see you next time.